1 Peter chapter 2, 9 through 12, hear the word of the Lord. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. It is a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path. A light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet, as your word says. It's holy, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, perfect. It is the gospel. And I pray that you would guide us, Lord, through the scripture today that you may be glorified, that your name name would be made famous, that we would be a holy people set apart, and that the world may see our good deeds and worship you, O Lord Jesus. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as Denard uh, mentioned earlier, um, I have the privilege to proclaim God's word here as, as your assistant pastor. If I have not met you yet. My name is Brian, and if you have not seen me much, it's because, as was mentioned earlier, I have the wonderful privilege to pastor your church plant, Oak City Church in Bartow. So we are ramping up, getting ready for our official morning launch. We've kind of been doing it in stages. We started last fall in the evening service launch, and then we are moving to a new worship space at Holy Trinity Episcopal Church in Bartow, and on September 10th, we will officially launch And we are so thankful for our mother church to come out and help us prepare for that on August 27th. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We really are are very grateful. Um, You've probably heard this illustration before, this story. It's a very common one that pastors use. It's the story of Vince Lombardi, the Hall of Fame Green Bay Packers coach who after the Packers lost to a far inferior squad, Lombardi faces his players in the locker room. They're dejected. They know they should have won. And he looks at them and he holds up a football and he said, Men, this is a football. And then he begins to explain the most basic elements of tackling and blocking and catching and hitting and all these things as if these players were peewee football players learning the game for the first time. Why? Because they forgot the basics. They forgot the basics, and the result of them forgetting the basics of football turned out to be an unusual and surprising defeat. Now, the author of this epistle in 1 Peter, Peter himself, the apostle Peter, was at one point in his ministry, in his early ministry, much like those Green Bay Packer players. He forgot the basics. 
but he forgot the basics of the gospel. Far more serious than forgetting the basics of football. He forgot the fundamentals of the gospel, and in the letter of Galatians, the apostle Paul actually rebukes him and challenges him, admonishes him, and says, you have forgotten. He says, you are out of step with the truth of the gospel. And he had to bring Peter back into line with the fundamentals of the gospel because what Peter was doing is he was allowing his identity to be wrapped up in what other people, mainly the Gentiles and the Jews, thought about him and who he was eating with and his performance. He had forgotten that his identity was in Jesus Christ and he was putting his identity in his performance and his acceptance instead of Christ. Well, some 20 years later, after the Apostle Paul rebukes Peter, Peter writes this epistle, and he, and he pens these words to a largely Gentile audience, and he reminds them of the fundamentals of the gospel and who they are in Jesus Christ and how that absolutely must impact what they do for the kingdom of God. He lays out those fundamentals. He says, hey, I don't want you to make the same mistake that I made. I want you to know who you are in Jesus Christ and what God has called you to do. Now, our sermon series has been on work. And uh, Pastor Ben tasked me with the uh, subject of work and the church and gave me this passage. And I think that, that Peter lays out as we think about the, the idea of work, he lays out the identity of the church, and then he lays out the mission of the church. But, but what you'll see in this passage is that the identity of the church and the mission of the church are inseparable. One influences the other. Namely, the identity of the church has to influence the mission of the church. It is majorly problematic when those things reverse. you got to understand who you are in Christ before you can know what Christ has called you to do in this world. Matter of fact, we're, we're, this sermon series is on the work of the church, but I'm actually going to spend about 99.1% of my sermon on the identity of the church because if you miss your identity as the church, then everything gets messed up and you won't know what God has called you or how to go out and advance the kingdom of God. All right, so let's jump into those two things, the church's identity mainly and then real briefly the church's mission. Look what Peter says in verse 9. 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 9, he says, You are a chosen race. Now, you are a chosen race. Now, I want to make a distinction between two things. Peter is not saying you are a choice people. Peter is not saying you are a choice people, but you are a chosen people. You are not a choice people. I am not a choice person, but I am a chosen person person. Now, we, we, we typically use choice as a noun or a verb, right? I made a choice or I'm choosing something. But here, it's being used as an adjective. And this is pretty rare. I don't think we use, unless we're speaking in negative terms, like someone used choice words against someone's usually negative. But I'm using it in the sense of an adjective in a positive way. Maybe, maybe a way we used to use it back in the day, but it's the idea of like this that uh, I, I went to Texas Cattle Company and I ate a choice ribeye. I mean, it was, it was superior. Uh, it, was, it was first class. 
I mean, it was a choice piece of meat. It was first rate. It was grade A. It was amazing quality. And of course, the chef chose that piece of meat because of its inherent qualities and then cooked it up for me. So we are not a choice people, but a chosen people. Now, what is the risk of interpreting verse 9 in this epistle as a choice people and not chosen people? Well, if I'm a choice person, then there's something inherently within me. There's something innate within me that is special that, of course, God would be prompted to love me and put his favor upon me because he looks at me and he sees that I'm superior. Superior, I'm grade A. There is a major risk in interpreting this way. See, someone who sees himself as a choice person says that I am top of the line in my morality and in my spiritual performance. It's no wonder why God would not set me apart. It's no wonder why he would set me apart as a holy nation and a treasure possession. This is the language that, that Peter is using here, but it's a misunderstanding of the verse 9 because look what Peter says. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. See, a, someone who sees himself as a choice person, inherently, innately special then they would see that Peter says priesthood. What is the priesthood? The priestly class was, was those in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant that had special access to God. And so if you see yourself as a choice person, then you would believe that, of course, you would have special access with God. It explains why you would have an elite opportunity to come to God. It would be like someone who has their name on a list for a restaurant or a club or a backstage, pa- a backstage pass, if you've ever had that opportunity, you feel very choice. You feel very special. There's something that you have that you feel like you're set apart, and you want other people to see, wow, look at that person. They have something superior to me. So if you see yourself as a choice person, someone special, then you would assume that that is why you have access to the Father. Peter says a holy nation. What does holy mean? It means to be set apart. If you see yourself as a choice person that has an inerrant value, then you would say, well, of course God would set me apart because I am superior to other people. I am set apart. I am holy. Then these lesser quality people. Then Peter says a people of his own possession. The NIV says God's special possession. Exodus 19.6, which this passage is very similar to. Obviously, Peter was thinking about Exodus 19.6, uses the language as treasured possession. Now, if if you're married or have been married, and if you've ever gone on the, um, the job of going to shop for an engagement ring, a diamond ring, then you would probably learn, unless you just have knowledge of diamonds, you would probably learn the four C's of a diamond, right? What are those four C's of a diamond? The carrot, the cut, the clarity, and the color. And the most important C is the cut of the diamond. Because if a diamond is poorly cut, no clarity grading, no color grading, no carrot weight can make up for a poorly cut diamond. 
Because a, a perfectly cut diamond, a, a beautifully cut diamond will just sparkle. It will just sparkle and shine. Those who see themselves as a choice person who has, you know, innate value in and of themselves, they know they sparkle. They feel like they sparkle. And of course God would treasure us as a possession. Right? Just like we treasure a beautifully cut diamond. So I would ask again, what is the risk of seeing yourself as choice and not chosen? It's eternal damnation. Because it is a false gospel. That is not what Peter is saying here. It is a false gospel to believe that God has chosen you because you have something valuable within yourself outside of Christ and his righteousness. It is a false gospel for you to base your, that God's love for you based on your human performance, and it's all based on your pride. This is the antithesis of the gospel. It's the exact opposite of the gospel. Have you noticed everything that we've said already up to this service? The songs that we have sung, the confessions that we have said, the readings we have said, has been exactly the opposite of a mistranslation to think that you are somehow valuable in God's eyes apart from Jesus. It is the opposite of the gospel if you believe that your acceptance is Christ in Christ is contingent upon who you are and what you do. It is the opposite of the gospel. It is not good news, I promise you that. If you think that Christ's acceptance of you is based on who you are and what you have done. That is not good news. And that's exactly what John the Baptist and Jesus constantly confronted in their ministries with the religious leaders. Because the religious leaders and the apostles constantly were dealing with people, the Jewish people, who said, well, of course we're choice people. God set us apart. We, we are children of Abraham. We are the elite. We have special access and then the religious leaders would come to John the Baptist and be baptized, and he, he would say, who told you to come and do this? He said, the axe is at the root. You think that you're choice people, that you're elite, but the axe is at the root, and you're about to be cut down because you've missed the gospel, and you are trusted in your own performance and in your own pedigree and not in the Lamb of God who will come and take away the sins of the world. And Jesus himself dealt with the religious leaders, and what did he say? You are whitewashed tombs. You look all pretty on the outside, and you wear your, fam- your, your, your favorite clothes and robes, and you do all these things, and you only care about yourself, and you are dead in the inside because you've missed the gospel, and you think you're a choice people. You think you have value within yourself, and that's why God smiles upon you. That is not the gospel. You are not a choice people if you're a Christian. You are a chosen people. And that's what the Apostle Paul says. Eklektos. Sounds like elect, right? You are an elect people. You are a chosen people. This is what Deuteronomy chapter 7 says. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. Look what God's word says. He says this. God says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasure possession. You see that language again. 
out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And listen to what God says. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you. And he chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. See what God's saying there? There was nothing in you that made me choose you. Matter of fact, you weren't the greatest, most beautiful, biggest nation. You were the fewest. I chose you because I chose you, and I love you, and that's my character, and that's my covenant. It's nothing in you. You aren't a choice people. You are chosen people. It's kind of like when you talk to a young child, and they're doing something, and they, they can't quite articulate why they do something, and you say, why did you do this? And they just simply say, because. You say, well, because why? Because. Because, you know, they can't justify. And in one sense, why does God choose you? Because. Nothing in you, but because, because it's God. he's God. And he loves you and he's faithful. He does it because that's his character and that's his covenant. And this is what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And some of you probably know this passage well. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Maybe you know those EE questions, evangelism explosion questions. And one of those questions I use when I share the gospel with people is I say, after I ask them, do you know where you'd go if you were to die? And if they would say, yes, I would go to heaven, I would ask them why. Let's just imagine you were to stand before God and God was to say, why should I let you into my heaven? What, what would you say? And if the person starts off their answer by saying, I, you already realize that they've missed the gospel. If you start to answer that question, well, I, then you, are, you probably are seeing yourself as a choice person, not a chosen person. Now, the way that you answer that question is, Jesus, God, not I. Chosen people get that it's all by God's grace that they are saved and redeemed. I mean, this passage here tells us there's nothing choice or superior about us. Peter says in verse 9, you were called out of darkness. That's not pretty. That's not superior. That's not good. That's darkness. That our hearts are inherently morally dark, and they bear the fruit of unfaithfulness. Look what Peter says in verse 10 of chapter 2. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That is a quote from Hosea, the book of Hosea. And if you don't know the book of Hosea, read it today. Read it this afternoon. The book of Hosea is known as the second greatest story in the Bible because it is a picture of the greatest story of the Bible, which is the story of redemption. It's one of the most unbelievable stories in the Bible and books of the Bible because God calls a prophet to go marry a prostitute. And he says, listen, I want you to go marry this prostitute, and she is going to 
be a prostitute and she's going to be unfaithful and she's going to, to run away from you. And sure enough, he does. He marries this prostitute and they have two, two children. And he said, I want you to name the first child, not, not my people. What does that communicate? It wasn't his child. I want you to name the second child, no mercy. Again, it's not his child. And sure enough, that happens and she runs off and she does what prostitutes do until the point that she's miserable in her sins. And she finds herself naked on an auction block. And God says, I want you to go back and I want you to go purchase your wife and love her again. And he said, I want you to do this because this is a picture of of my people's unfaithfulness and what I'm going to do in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has clothed us in his righteousness. We don't have any inherent righteousness in ourselves. We are in darkness. The Lord Jesus Christ has clothed us in his righteousness. And he has purchased us and he has redeemed us, not with silver and gold, but by his precious blood. This is the gospel. This is what it means to be chosen. That now God, once you were no mercy, and once you were not my people, and God says, now you are my people, you're my treasure possession. Now you are the object of my mercy and my love and my redemption. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ and friends, and if you're here and, you're, and you don't know the gospel, then I want you to hear it clearly. The gospel is this, that God's son, Jesus Christ, is truly the only choice person. Think about it. God's son is the only truly choice person because, again, a choice person is someone who is superior and perfect and has inherent value. The only person that is choice is the Lord Jesus Christ. Perfect, spotless, without blemish, Lamb of God. But guess what? The Lord Jesus Christ had to be rejected by his Father so that the church could be chosen. The Lord Jesus Christ had to humble himself and became poor and ultimately became our substitutionary sacrifice so that we can have priestly access to the Father. So that we can come to the throne of grace with no more condemnation because of Christ Jesus and his substitution. Matter of fact, Paul says that you are already, if you're a Christian, you are, you are already seated with Christ in the heavenlies right now. That's how the Father sees you. You are already royal priests seated with Christ in the heavenlies because of Christ's substitutionary sacrifice. See, the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect spotless Lamb of God, had to become sin so that you and I could become holy by his righteousness. He had to take upon our darkness and our unfaithfulness so that we can become his righteousness. The Lord Jesus Christ, the only choice person, had to bear the full wrath of God. He had to bear the full darkness of God so that we could become treasured objects of his delight and his mercy and be brought into his marvelous light. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And this is the beauty of being chosen in Christ alone. Some of you may be thinking, Brian, why are you hitting so hard the basics of the gospel? We are, we're, some of us, we, we are mature believers. You know, I mean, let, let's, let's, let's move on to deeper truths here. Well, tell that to the Apostle Peter. 
and Galatians who forgot the gospel, who was out of step with the gospel. You see, brothers and sisters, even though we may understand the gospel in our minds, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, see, our hearts are constantly bent towards performance. They're constantly bent towards trying to find our identity and acceptance in everything outside of Jesus, right? And so we've got to be reminded of the basics of the gospel, the fundamentals of the gospel. Most of us wouldn't sit here and say, well, I'm grade A. But let me ask you these questions. We, we, we love to compare ourselves to others to make, our, to make ourselves feel a little bit more choice and special. So let me ask you this. Where are you doing that right now? Where are you comparing yourself to other people to make, you, make yourself feel, feel special? Something that is in you. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's your spouse. You're highlighting your spouse's brokenness and sin so that you can feel like you're the one that has everything together. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's with your politics. I've got the right politics. Those people over there are messed up. I'm special. I'm choice. Maybe it's your socioeconomic status. Maybe it's your theology and how you like to lord your, your perfect theology over, over, over other people who just don't quite get it. You see, there's so many ways that we try to compare ourselves to other people so that we feel extra special. And that is choice theology, not, not chosen theology. Secondly, what are you putting so much confidence in that it has become your functional savior? What are you putting uh, so much confidence in that, that has become your functional savior? Maybe it's your beauty, maybe it's your intelligence, your work ethic, your school, your grades, your money, your peers, your family, right? Those things that so often that we, we, we put our, our functional savior confidence in those things, but it's God's grace when he strips those things away from us at times. Or it's God's grace when, when those people let us down and we realize, no, Jesus alone is our identity. There's no one or nothing that can save us and redeem us but Christ alone. Now, I warned you, I said I was going to spend 99.1% on the first point, and I've been truthful. So our identity, but what about our mission? Again, if you miss the identity, you're going to mess up the mission. I promise you that. Let me give you an example. This is a, 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 a illustration, a story that Charles Spurgeon, the, the great uh, um, Baptist Reformation preacher, the Prince of Preachers, uses this, this illustration of the story. It says this, Once upon a time, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. And so he took it to a king, and he said, my, my Lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was very touched, and he discerned the man's heart. And so as he turned to the king, uh, as he, as, so as he turned, the king said to him, Wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. He said, I own a plot of land that's right next to, next to yours. I want to give it to you freely as a gift so that you can garden it, it all. And the gardener was amazed. He was delighted, and he went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman at the king's court who overheard all this. And he said to himself, my, if that's what you get for a carrot, 
What if you gave the king something better? And so the next day, the, the nobleman came before the king, and he was leading a handsome black stallion. And he bowed low, and he said, My lord, I breed horses, and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said, Thank you. And he took the horse and merely dismissed him. The king discerned the heart of this nobleman. The nobleman was very confused. And so the king said to this guy, Let me explain. That gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. Why do you serve the Lord? Why do you serve the church? Why do you give to the poor? Why do you share your faith? You see, if you are serving the Lord merely to get the blessings of the king or to try to earn favor with the king, then you're not serving the Lord, you're not serving the church, you're serving yourself. Because it's what you want to get out of it versus your mere joy and passion and glory and worship of the King Jesus. You are not feeding the poor, you are feeding yourself, if that is the motivation for why you are serving the church. Peter lays out real briefly the church's work, the church's mission. It can be summed up in two words, worship and witness. Worship and witness. Verse 9, he says, why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him. 1 Peter 2, 5 earlier says, offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, there were two different sacrifices, or lots of sacrifices, but two main ones. One was a sacrifice of atonement. Other was a sacrifice of thanksgiving. The sacrifice of atonement was pointing to Jesus Christ. And what Peter is saying is that Jesus Christ has atoned for our sins we don't, we don't have to do sacrifices of atonement anymore. Jesus has completed it all. The other one is a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. You see, if you see yourself as a choice person that has to maintain par with God, and you're trying to gain his favor, then you're going to do things like a sacrifice of atonement. You're going to do things because you think you're going to be able to earn God's favor, and you're really just serving yourself. But if you see yourself as a chosen person by the grace of God, you're going to be so enamored with his love that he would choose you and put his grace upon you even though you are unfaithful and filled with darkness that you will be so enamored that you can't help but want to just worship and praise God and thank him. And you're not doing it because you want God to give you something. You're doing it because God deserves all of our praise and glory. That's the difference of seeing yourself as deserving choice versus undeserving chosen. The second one is witness. The church should witness. He says in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. God is calling us to be holy. We are already set apart in Christ, and because we are holy in Christ, live holy lives. And live such holy lives and live out your life as a spiritual act of worship for the glory of God. But when you do it, your holiness is like evangelism. And the world's going to see you. 
The world's going to see your, your good deeds. They're going to see your holiness. They're going to see something different about you. If you see yourself as a choice person somehow trying to, to again, gain favor with God or with man, then, then, then you may witness and do these good deeds so that other people may say, see your good deeds and worship you and not the Lord. We would never say that. But there's always that bent in our heart wanting other people to look at us and go, wow, that's a special person. But a chosen person is witnessing because they are objects of God's affection and love and grace and mercy, and they can't believe it because they know how screwed up they are. And they want to go out and be able to say, hey, this is really good news. Do you realize that it's not about your performance, it's about Christ's performance, and they can't wait to tell the world about Jesus? Why? Because they want Jesus to gain the glory and not themselves. Do you see how your identity impacts your mission? Who you are in Christ impacts how you serve Christ and what you do for, for Jesus. So, brothers and sisters, you are a chosen people by God's grace. Let that motivate your mission. This is the gospel. Let us remember the truth of God's love and his mercy. Let us be so humbled by his grace, lest we become so prideful and we fall. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so humbled by your love and your care for us. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for being so selfish. Forgive us for being so prideful. Forgive me, Lord. Because my heart wants to gain the glory. My heart wants to be able to earn favor with you. And Lord Jesus, thank you that you have ripped out that heart of stone and given me a heart of flesh. And Lord, I pray that we would not be out of step with the gospel. That here at Strong Tower Church, at, at Oak City Church, that we'd be so, so understanding, so so rooted in who we are in Christ that we have been chosen by God's, by your grace and that there's nothing in us which is acceptable. It's only Jesus and his righteousness and his performance. And then that would, would so motivate us to go on mission here in Lakeland and Bartow and Polk County. That our lives would just be overflowing with worship and as we worship, we are witnessing to our neighbors and our coworkers and our family members and friends and they would fall on their knees and they would worship you, King Jesus. We ask these things in Christ's name.